it's always got the quality and the consumer is also the producer always first in mind you know so it's always you know, we pay we pay more for our fish than anyone else in the industry in South Australia because we want the best and we know how hard the fishermen work. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. In Australia, we have an incredible bounty of seafood that's revered around the world and yet we import much of what we eat. Sustainability is a catch cry of the industry, but for an operator, what are the key indicators of a sustainable catch and how do you run a sustainable restaurant model championing that? Sam Prance-Smith is the co-owner and chef of Angler in South Australia. Sam, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Huck. How are you? I'm great. It's good to get you on the show. You've got quite an impressive little business down there in South Australia. Tell us a bit about it. Uh, so Angler um, is a it's a kind of a it's a niche market within a niche. So it's, <laughs> it's um, you know the first first thought it always starts off to be a fish and chip shop, um, and then it dives a bit deeper into um, being a fishmonger. Um, you know, specialising in underutilised um, seafood and species of of fish um, and then attached to that is the restaurant and then we've also got like a dry aging program there as well so we dry age a lot of our seafood and, and fish mm. so yeah it's quite it's quite uh, uh, very unique and different especially for South Australia which is um, on the cusp of some culinary greatness I reckon in the country so yeah it's it's good <laughs> <laughs> well um South Australia, I mean, Australia's got amazing seafood, but South Australia is renowned for some of the best in Australia. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about the connections that you've made there with, with local sort of catchers and, and growers and farmers. So, um, so basically, when Angler started, I was looking for for a supplier who was who actually um, was only dealing with South Australian produce, um, like you mm. said, because we have the some of the best seafood in the world, to be honest. Um, and so the journey started just to try and dot the I's and cross the T's to find someone who was actually doing it. And then we, we managed to come across Fair Fish, um, which is a, um, a co-op made of fishermen, um, which is the, the only one which is uh, sustainable in South Australia. So we started to work really closely with them to work mm. out where their suppliers were coming from and the traceability of, of seafood, which was my biggest um, which was my biggest hurdle to come through because you can get fish from anywhere, but then yep. to find out where it came from and what waters it came from and who caught it was just another it was just too difficult for, for your average um a wholesaler to tell you, you know, like they could give you like a, a roundabout reason of like, oh yeah, you know, it's out of Bass, Bass Strait. It's like, okay, whereabouts in Bass Strait or whereabouts <laughs> in, in Corners Inlet, you know, like, so it was, it was really, really difficult. So in South Australia, I wanted to know where it was in South Australia, you know, so we've got Wallaroo, we've got Coffin Bay, we've got Streaky Bay, um, you know, and then we've got all the way down to Flurio as well, you know, so having that and then they had the process already there. So it was yeah. basically, it was virtually, then it was just talking to the fishermen. And then so finding out from the fishermen what fish they could catch. And it's quite challenging because, um, you know, there's, we have, we have a few which come out, come off of Kangaroo Island. Um, and, you know, they you know, people think commercial fishermen are, um, you know, they've got these big rigs, you know, it's a you know, six man operation or whatever, you know, like it's actually not, there's a couple of fishermen outside of Kangaroo Island who 
<laughs> there's one guy called Mike Fuchs who um, he still has just a, a 10 foot tinny and he has oars. And that's all he catches from, <laughs> and he's a commercial fisherman, you know. And wow. my people, it's it's phenomenal. Like, and his story is absolutely amazing, you know. So, so in that collective of say Mike Fuchs, there's a bunch of fishermen around him. So, and they catch and give to him, and then he set, and then he sells to fair fish. So it can be you can you can come across a collective of fish, which is you know you may only have like a kilo of King George whiting, you know, five kilo of snook, and they might have caught nanagai. You know, so the, the, mm. the and that's this is the this is the whole species cycle which the industry's um, been so um, I guess um, plentiful and been very privileged on having you know the top five species around whenever you go to a fishmonger because no one else will touch the other ones because they make more money yeah. from it. So it's quite it's been very challenging like that, but working really closely towards a lot of fishermen, and that's just one example of one of the fishermen we get. One of, one of the, one of the many. <laughs> so, one of the things that you do is sort of champion underutilized species. What's yeah. what's the benefits of of doing that for for what you do and also for the consumer? And is there some that you could highlight? Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, my, my first one which comes to mind would be probably um, ocean jackets or leather jackets. Mm. Um, they're very underutilized and they're probably got the, the most benefit um, for flavor profile and price point from a consumer point of view, especially with the whole, you know, cost of living and everything going up there, you know, like it's, it's you know, under under underutilized seafood and um, fish is absolutely, you know, should be, we should be looking at that more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is carp. Um, now, we've got a really big push here in South Australia to use carp um, yeah. because it's, um, you know, it's it's a pest, <laughs> and um, so we 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 really try and push that as well. You know, and it can be just as good um, as any other fish you'd pay top dollar for. You know, so um, you know you can get some really nice carp bellies out of that, and you can have make a, a really decent fish steak, or they can get utilised and used up in mints and make you know dumplings or fish cakes or something. You know, so. Um, yeah, um, you know, red mullet, you know, is also seen as a really not a nice fish here in South Australia. Mm. Um, and yeah, so just just it's it's a con- it's constant conversations with 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 fishermen, um, the people who catch the fish, and also the customers who come in as well. You know, and then you know having that dialogue with them, going, oh, how would you cook it? You know, and it's like, well, you know, I'll do it like this or such and such. Um, and just having that, um, just yeah, just having that conversation. You know, so. Yeah, consumers are renowned for sort of sticking to just a uh, just a few sort of species buying from retail to cook at home. Yeah, but you know, with what you do and the underutilized species, is that sort of barrier broken a little bit? Is it a little bit easier to to sell them the different species? Um, I mean, it it, it is. Um, it has broken a bit, but still, it's 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 still a pretty big challenge. You know. Um, you know, South Australia, you know, everyone wants King George Whiting, and it's the most sought after fish. And we, you know, eighty percent of it ends up selling to uh, Melbourne and Sydney because because yeah. the fishermen get top dollar for it. So um, it, it is it is breaking down a lot more of the barriers. You know, I mean, like having you know, there's I mean, uh, growing up, I didn't I didn't eat too much King George Whiting, so I never really saw the the fascination for it. You know. Mm. Um, and I still don't, you know. Like, I mean, I love, I love the fish. Don't get me wrong, but I find that I, I just think there's just so many other nicer fish out there. 
than than King George Whiting, you know, and um, you know having people who come in and go, you know, they'll specifically come in and ask for King George Whiting, and yes, I'll have it, but then I'll say, yeah, have you tried this, you know, and mm. and they'll go, no, I haven't. I said, well, you know, maybe you should give this a go, and then you know, next next time they come in, they go, wow, that was fantastic, you know. So do we want King George Whiting, or do you want to go to you know your blue throat ras or you know. Your, um, a nice piece of redfin out of the estuaries in 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 the Coorong, and they'll go. Oh, no, I'll try this today. You know, I'll go with your recommendation. So it's just that conversation you got to have with. Mm. You know, it's it's very um, it's, it's it's difficult because it's so like being in the the seafood side of things as well. It's so transactional, um, yeah. and you kind of got to create an environment which is quite warm. And, um, you know, with, with the with the shop attached to the restaurant, it is it's a lot more inviting than just a transactional um, piece. But having um, – just having those conversations with people is just really, really it, – it's good, you know. Like you need to engage with them to for them to understand a lot more, you know. So, um, yeah. It's it is changing. The landscape's changing, um, and I think COVID's done a lot of that as well to find out where their product comes from and where their produce comes from. I think it's mm. absolutely paramount. So, um, but we don't look at we don't look at the seafood industry as like we do with every other industry. Like you know, there's so much information out out there around about the milk and dairy, you know, the vegetables, you know, is it organic, is it not, you know, the chicken. But there's nothing about the seafood industry and that's the one thing which was really bothering me and I wanted to wanted to know what I could do differently in the industry, um, you know, with a chef background to, 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 to try and make it a bit more um, consumer friendly. Well, I want to explore what you are doing there in a little while, but yep. uh, take us back to when you were young. What, what sort of role did food play in your family growing up? Um, my, um, my, my mom was a really, my my mom is a really good cook. Um, and I did have a lot of time off as a kid, um, through schooling because I had, um, a few operations on my ear. I was born premature and had a few operations. And Mm. so I did have a lot of time off at school and I, I remember baking a lot as a kid. Um, and I used to bake my doctor's cakes all the time and that was probably my first (laughs) yeah that was probably my first introduction into cooking and um and then i remember getting a i remember getting a cookbook for my i think it was my 12th um 12th birthday and then it kind of just sort of started from there um that was it really it was just you know my, my whole family's been obsessed with food you know like you know my grandparents my you know my, my aunties, my uncles, my auntie was a chef um, for many years. Um, but, yeah, I just our family just saw food as so precious. And, um, yeah, and we just spent a lot of time around food as, as, as kids. And, yeah. Tell us about sort of those first steps into the industry. What, what were they like and where did you get your start? Um, so I, um, I wasn't much of an academic at school. Um, so I uh, ended up just getting a. I started doing work experience at the Lenzhard restaurant um, in South Australia, which was probably at the time a uh, top three restaurants um, in in Australia. Um, had won numerous amount of awards in the nineties and early early aughts. So yeah, um, and that was the part of. So that was um, in the family as well. So my um, my mum's cousin um, owned it. Wow. Yeah. So I actually was quite young when I stepped in. I was about 13 when I stepped in to the kitchen. Um, and I just started just, just doing dishes and you know, just just basically kitchen hand work. And um, and then uh, and then I just turned into a, an apprenticeship 
Um, I just didn't want to go to school. I told my dad one day that I didn't want to go back to school. Um, and he said, right, well, you know, being the, being the great dad that he is, said, you've got a week to find a job, otherwise you're out. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> little, little did I know to this day that he actually turned around and made a few phone calls and actually helped behind the scenes because I ended up getting an apprenticeship there and um, started quite young. I was, um, yeah, 15 when I started. Um, and then, yes, I started my journey through there. It was a tough kitchen, tough kitchen working at the high standards, you know, soon off the get-go. But, um, yeah. It's, it's carved me to the start of the start of the carving of where I am today. So, who were the pe- the people sort of early on as you started getting your career on track? Yeah. Who were the ones that were really influential and mentors for you? Um, the a chef um, and dear friend of mine now, still to this day, is David Farmer. He um, took me under his wing mm. as a I think I was a second year apprentice at this stage. And he uh, taught me everything I know to this day about native Australian cuisine. And this is back when, um, you know, native Australian cuisine wasn't wasn't even on the radar. You know, this is years and years before um, anyone had seen a bush tomato. So he was at the forefront of it and um, he taught me everything I know. And we still remain good friends today. So when I opened Angler, he was the first person I called and said, I want you to come be next to me when when we open um and yeah and he was he was a very very big turning point in my career and i wouldn't be anywhere or without him so um he was one of my biggest ones um through my apprenticeship stage and then moving on you know having your idols you know who you go to work for and um and get you know get to meet them and speak to them and talk to them and understand their philosophy and how they think as well you know so um they end up becoming a playing a part as well and carving you into into who you are today as well so yeah yeah <clears throat> you, you had a uh, chance meeting with Heston Blumenthal at uh, at one stage what impact uh and what uh, transpired from that um so there was uh my my partner um it got me into this this luncheon, which was in Sydney, um, and it was part of this gentleman's club. And um, I happened, I ended up getting tickets for it, so I ended up going and was talking to my, my now business partner, who's my auntie. Um, we were both talking about it, and I just said, you know, we got in, you know, what do I say? And, um, you know, because you're around all these delicates and, you know, they're, they're all – you know, quite. You know, I'm a chef. You know what I mean. I'm not a. I'm not a broker. Mm. I'm not. You know, I'm no one. You know, like. So, um, and my auntie just said, just go, just ask him for a job. Just go flat out and ask him for a job. Go, what do I have to do to come work for you? And you know, because that's going to catch his attention straight away. And then you know, sure enough, he came around the table and I shook his hand and I, you know, kind of, and I said, uh, what do I have to do to come work for you? And he said, he, he turned around and laughed and he he goes, ah, so clearly you're not an investor. And I said, no, I'm not. But you know, I'm I'm a you know I'm a chef, and I love what you do, and I want to come and I want to come and work for you. And uh, so wow. he um, he ended up uh, he just he just said email he just said email the fat duck and say that we met here, and my PA will tell me this, and I'll I'll get you in. And then so you know wow. yeah so a few months went by, and um, you know didn't really hear too much, and then. Um, and then, and then I got this email out of the blue where he said um, it was, you know, yep, come over. We've got these dates available for you to come over and, and stage. So I ended up doing a stage for – originally it was going to be for a month, but it ended up being three months. So 
um, yeah, basically just you know you know told my workplace at the time and they were absolutely they were fine with they were happy with it and then um, mm. I uh, yeah just went went over there for three months and you know at that stage it was the I think it was probably it was it was the top three in the world at the time um, mm. and so it was it was. You know, you're around the elite of the elite, and I'll never forget walking into that kitchen, and you know, you'd introduce yourself, "How you doing?" You know, and they'd be all, you know, you know, you in the kitchen, you work with so many different, you know, nationalities and all that. And I was like, "Oh, so where have you come from?" You know, and they're like, "Oh, El Bully," and I'm like, "Oh, yeah, right, right." And where have you come from? Oh, and this was just when El Bully closed, like the year before. So it's like the whole kitchen was just full of just like El Bully, you know, Gordon Ramsay. And they're like, "Oh, where are you from?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm from Adelaide," and they just go, "Where's that?" You know, and so they're like, they're like, oh, from Australia. And they go, oh, Melbourne or Sydney? And I'm like, no, I'm from Adelaide. And they go, where's that? So I ended up just saying, like, oh, it's like eight hours, you know, uh, northwest of Melbourne. And they go, oh, right, okay, yeah, cool. <laughs> so it was just, you know, like it was pretty surreal, you know. And, um, you know, this, you know, being around all these chefs who were just absolutely so highly talented. And then, um, you know, there's a few, few Aussie chefs I met there as well. Um, um, you know, who I ended up meeting in, in Melbourne as well when I further on in my career when I went to Melbourne. Um, I mean, catching up there as well, which was good. Um, but I got, got along really well with Johnny, um, Johnny Lake, and I ended up meeting back up with him again when they came out to Australia. So um, he was mm. their chef at the time, or exec chef at the time of the Fat Duck, and we got along really well. Um, and ended up seeing him in, Mel- in Melbourne when, later on. So, yeah. Was. Were there any dishes or techniques or experiences that you took from your time there? Yeah, hundred percent, absolutely. Um, I mean, the the whole, the, yeah, like sauces. Like I'm a very big fan of sauces, and I think sauce ties mm. everything. It ties a meal completely. You know, um, we went through a, a big stage in um, in, the, in in cooking where sauce um, didn't really play a part. And I just didn't really find that, you know, a lot of dishes didn't have a sauce or it had something so natural with it where I feel like now we've kind of gone back to that whole sauce and, um, you know, that sauce, a sauce is everything, you know. So um, that was probably the biggest thing I picked up with that. But, I mean, just, yeah, I mean, it, it's a different world, you know. Like, I mean, you're using, you know, liquid nitrogen, you're using, you know, using science equipment, you know. We had to, mm. you know, to set the, the watches for the fob watch, which goes in the man had a tea, you know, so that was a section I was on as well. So I'd do that from start to finish. So you'd start at four o'clock in the morning. And so you'd go and, you'd, you know, the first thing you'd do is you'd set the watches. But how to do that, you'd make your stock and then you'd have to spin it in um, basically a Robocoop, which has got like a – you'd spin it because it's frozen. So you'd have to bash it up first and then you'd put it into this Robocoop, which has got this special filter in it, which will then separate the water from a frozen particle to the liquid. So you're removing the water without reducing so it's it's quite yeah it's and then to that you'd have a percentage of 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 you know liquid or stock to bring it back up to the right bricks and right right viscosity then to then set it in the watches so it's yeah it's, it's quite yeah it's mm. it's another level it's it's really another level but it was amazing absolutely amazing so and there's just all these little little techniques you kind of get along the way when you pick up in the kitchen as well you know so you know like how to but this is one thing I never forget is like stacking like stacking a plate. You know, you're in such a tight quarters. But what they would do is like to stack a plate for the um, 
they would have like rubber blocks and stack the plates on rubber blocks. Now I never really seen that before. You know, like it sounds mm. so so minuscule and so minor, but it was just like instead of having a footprint across two meters, you'd have a footprint which is you know two hundred mil high. You know, so it's just just those little things, and that and that and everywhere you work, you'd pick up little bits and pieces as you go, and that was one thing I picked up. So then, like you know, when I was working in tight quarters, I'd have these like silicon rubber blocks, which I'd set the plates up on and go right. They're they're set, ready to go. There's twenty ready to go. So yeah, yeah. it's yeah. <laughs> After that experience, what was it like coming back to Australia and to Adelaide? Um, uh, it was yeah, it, it was good. It was good. I, I had you know obviously a massive lease on 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 what avenue I wanted to go and what direction I thought I wanted to go um, mm. in cooking um, and find my own pathway. And you know, I did that. Um, and then um, basically, I just wasn't getting enough from what Adelaide was offering. Um, you know, it was it was quite a, you know it was well behind what um, Melbourne and Sydney were doing. Um, you know, we weren't really on the, you know, culinary map as such as what, um, to the extent of what it is now. And, mm-hmm. um, so then just ended up the, Katie and I ended up packing up and going to Melbourne, um, and then started, started again in Melbourne. So, which then led towards, you know, having the, the background of being at the Fat Duck, then opened up the door to go to Attica. Um, yeah. And was at Attica for so I started there for three months as well um, when I first got to Melbourne, um, and that was again that was life changing. You know, like you, know, you, you have the the experience, the technic, the technical side of of what the fat duck would bring and Heston's Heston's mindset, and you know, you, you know question everything and why do we do it like this and to Ben's you know natural approach to food and the, the really organic and wholesome. Um, mm. So there's two polar opposites cooking methods, um, and I've somehow landed in the middle um, now in my direction in cooking. Um, but working working with Ben and working with Pete as well, because Pete was the sous chef there at the time, who's now got Ides. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, we, we, we got along really, really well. And Matt as well. Matt was just um, the CDP at that stage, and now he's the head chef at Attica. Mm. So, um, yeah, and then from there moved to uh, Cutler & Co., and worked for um, Andrew McConnell and and um, was there for a year. And then um, from there moved to Brooks, Brooks Restaurant, um, mm. which then unfortunately closed um, while, uh, while we were there. Um, but we worked with Mira as well and then obviously working with Banjo at Attica as well. So it was, you know, it's such a tight-knit community hospitality, which I don't think a lot of people understand outside of the yeah. industry of, you know, oh, do you know this person? It always links around. So um, that was really good. That was probably my one of my, my highlights working at Brooks there um, in the early days and then also when my good friend uh, at the time um, took over and then we ended up getting um, in the first six months of taking over uh, Brooks, we ended up getting, I think it was 69 on the top 100 in the in Australia, which mm. was good, which was a good feat and considering it's, you know, very backpack orientated. So <laughs> a lot of backpacks and backpackers and, you know, so it was hard <laughs> to find, you know, quality chef who actually wanted to, you know, do the hours and, and excel and then succeed. So, yeah, um, it's been quite, quite a journey. And then from there, moved to Pure South and started the, the development and re- the redevelopment of Pure South, um, dining there on South Bank. Yeah. Um, and then left there. Uh, 
had a little girl and was tired of doing, you know, 120 hours a week. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we decided to come back to Adelaide, sleepy Adelaide. When did the sort of interest in seafood and, the, you know, the, there's a real art to cooking seafood as well. Yeah. Like, when did all of that begin for you? Um, I think, you know, I mean, I was put on, I was, wherever I worked, like I said, I had Cutler and Co, I was on seafood station. So, mm. you know, that started there. Um, when I was down at Star of Greece, you know, in, in Adelaide, when I was head, head chef of that, it was, you know, it's it's perched on the clifftop of Port Wollonga. It's probably got one of the the best views in in the world. You know, on the on the on on the day, mm. it's, it's it's phenomenal. And you know, that's a highly seafood orientated restaurant. I never thought about cooking seafood solely, um, but I always had it. I always enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. You know, there was something very special about cooking a fish because it is difficult to cook properly. Um, I say that, but then also tell people who come into the shop, it's actually quite easy. But it's, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a bit of a, you know, to get the right, like, yes, it's easy to cook at home if you don't really care about, you know, the crispy skin or, you know, you know but if you want, like, the nice, perfect golden skin and, you know, the right temperature of the fish, it can it can be quite difficult. But to the average punter who's listening right now, it's very easy to cook and you should go out and buy some more seafood. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's... I, I just always had it in me. And then, you know, like Friday night fish and chip night was the biggest thing in our family, you know, like summer holidays, you know, down at Porties and you'd, you know, you'd, you'd go and have your fish and chips and it'd be heaving, you know, and they were the biggest highlight in school memories. So seafood was, that was probably my only memory of as a child cooking seafood would be just eating mm. it, you know, so yeah. eating it from a fish and chip shop, which is, you know, now that I've learned is not sustainable and where you know where your fish comes from so but that's a whole other a whole other topic um so but then you're just cooking and having a lot of pride in cooking cooking fish and a nice seafood and then you know on you know i was on meat and fish at brooks as well when i was there and fish played a big part and fish dish was something that i changed quite a lot you know whether it's mm. cooking in you know you know an aged piece of you know flounder you know, cooking bone marrow, you know, like it's, it, it, it changed quite a lot. So, um, and the flavors you'd get from it, because fish generally kind of gets overlooked um, quite a bit in the cooking process and what you add to it, you know, it's either going to be drenched in a, or sourced with a, you know, a lemon butter sauce or caper sauce or parsley sauce, you know, some of that old French techniques, which, you know, is still around these days and still are great, you know, it's fantastic mm. still. But um, a lot of that only stems from our, we, a lot, we, we use that a lot because, you know, if fish is not looked after properly, then it, um, you know, it begins begins to smell, you know. So then you need some acidity to break down ammonia. So that's why in our repertoire of cooking, we have a lot of, um, you know, high acidic sauces to help that, you know, or vinegar, you know, as well. So um, to help break through that. But, yeah, I mean, that was basically my, my introduction to cooking seafood and, and just, mm. yeah. Tell us about the beginnings of Angler. How, how did how did it begin? So, Angler, um, it was it was a start of um, it was an idea. Obviously, you know, when it, I just was eating fish and chips one day from a local pub up in the hills, and I just knew it was just frozen fish. And I just, I was, I was a bit hungover as well, and I was talking to my business partner at the time, and I just said, "Look, why, why, why isn't there a place where you can come and get fish and chips from, a, from like a local fish and chips, you know?" And South Australia's got some of the best produce coming out of the Gulf. Why aren't we using that? Why aren't we using stuff from, you know, 
Vietnam or New Zealand and, you know, South Africa? Why are we getting fish from there? You know, like, why aren't we using the stuff from South Australia? And so that's what started the idea. And then it kind of, it, it moved quickly, it moved very quickly, actually, from basically an idea to plans, probably in about six months. Um, and then at the start, you know, obviously, so handover was on 20th of December, I'll never forget, it was on the 20th of December 2019. That was when handover was. And um, there was a catastrophic fire day here, which was the start of the bushfires in South Australia. So basically in the Adelaide Hills, we were kind of blocked off for most of the most of the time. So it was a um, start of the bushfires and then moved, rolled straight into COVID about two months later. So I've had a bit of a, bit of a really difficult start um, to, to a business. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, COVID hit, and yes, it was a you know takeaway slash. We had we, at that stage we only had um, like ten seats. Um, wow! So because uh, we wanted to build the restaurant um, later on, we wanted to open up and catch the summer season here, and then go. All right, then you know we'll wait and get revenue in, and then we'll reopen the restaurant. And then COVID hit and put a put a handbrake on that for you know a solid year and a half, two years. So we ran as a as a basically like a ten seater ten seater establishment um, wow. with takeaway and fishmonger as well. And then uh, it's only it's only been what would have been ten months now with the actual dining room open. Um, mm. So yeah, it's been um, it's been challenging. But you know, at the start of it, it was you know it was great. You know, it was, it's you know everyone wanted to know what the new up and comer was in Sterling, especially Sterling is quite a um, unique community um it's very it's an up you know it's it's up there it's with with the it's the most sought after suburb in south australia um right so it's very nice very nice area i grew up in sterling so that's the reason why it was also in sterling um mm. and i remember like i just when i came back i was like i remember taking it as a taking it for granted as a kid that's for sure you know i mean mum and dad sold their house you know the family home 20 years ago, you know. So um, mm. coming back to it was quite, you know, a lot of nostalgia there. Um, and then, you know, talking to people, you know, and I do still see people and parents who, are, you know, of kids I went to school with and everything like that, and, which is good. Um, but at the start it was, you know, everyone would come in and they would say, oh, can I get two bits of butterfish, uh, one bit of flake, and you do like calamari rings. And like it's just like, ah, no, unfortunately, sorry, I don't do – flake i don't do butterfish and they're like oh oh right okay why is that and i was like do you i'm like do you know what butterfish is you know and they just go oh it's you know it's shark isn't it or flake shark and it's like oh yeah it is but do you know what shark it is you know and then um having that conversation with them about it and going look you know you could be eating you know an endangered species that's a highly highly it's 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 high on the radar that you're going to be eating endangered species Nowadays they call up and they go, "What's your catch of the day?" So it's taken, mm. it's taken, it's taken a while, you know, and um, that went on for a probably you know a solid eight months, and it was just that general just coaching and, and, and education throughout, and still is today on teaching people where fish come from, what ahead, you know, what's the best way to eat it and cook it, and um, yeah, so. Your business partner is um, Andy Prance. Yes. Uh, tell us a bit about her and the dynamics and how you run the business together. Um, so Mandy's, um, she's obviously my auntie, um, and we, you know, she's always had a passion for food, um, loves food, and then we, we've always wanted to do something together 
um, for a long time. And then, so now she 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 runs back house, um, basically the 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 financial like works on the business, everything, mm-hmm. and then I work in the business. You know, she's a very highly. Um, um, she's very involved with fair fish as well now. So, yep. um, so she's at okay. the forefront of the actual fishing industry here in South Australia, and really pushing towards for that fisherman or that young, you know, that um, up and coming fisherman to actually really make a name for himself and really changing the seafood industry here in South Australia um, without with 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 not going the regular system of how it's been run for the last forty years. So, or sorry, sixty years, I should say. So, there's a very um, very good dynamic happening there. Um, and yeah, we just, yeah, we, you know, we, every week we have meetings and catch up and, you know, how things going. And, and so it's, you know, this is what we need to work on. These are our targets and all that. And, you know, but it's always, it's always got the quality and the consumer as also the producer always first in mind, you know, so it's always, you know, we pay, we pay more for our fish than anyone else in the industry in South Australia because we want the best and we know how hard the fishermen work. So we pay most for our fish and therefore, which means our fish our fish prices will, will vary throughout the season because we're getting, we're buying, we're getting, we're catching and, and, and filleting in the seasons. So right now is the best time for King George Whiting colder waters, for seafood in general, colder waters is the best time. So my prices yeah. will fluctuate throughout the season, you know. So, um, and, and getting a, and getting a good array of seafood as well. But on the other hand, it's also very difficult because um, some boats can't go out because of the weather. So it's very, very challenging um, side of things. But, you know, man's, man's really helps with that whole dynamic and, and understands the, the the main target, what we're going for, and what we want to achieve, and also you know has a lot of contacts with a lot of the seafood industry, and and as yeah, basically we're very forging the way forward for the industry here in South Australia. You mentioned that uh, as a kid you loved fish and chips on Fridays. Yes. Um, what from now that you uh, are, are cooking fish and chips as part of what you do, what what makes a great fish and chips? Um, a great fish and chips will always. Um, just come down to the the fish itself. Um, what fish you actually um, like to eat, and how you how you cook it. So you know a thin thin bit of fish will always suit something with a fast cooking. So either a batter or a crumb. A thicker bit will always suit probably as an all rounder. Um, yeah. Depending on the fish and what I feel like, uh, I'm a big fan of garfish. I love garfish. When it's in season, mm. um, you yeah. know, some states think it's a, it's used for bait, <laughs> um, but here in South Australia, we absolutely love it. And we, when we get a good run on it, we it's fantastic. Um, between that, snook as well is another underrated species, um, very similar mm. to flathead, same pin bone structure and flake density as flathead. It's mm. one one third of the price, you know. So it's another really it's another really good entry point for someone who wants a a nice fish to cook at home as well, but also not pay exorbitant prices, which has been which flathead can come with. Um, um, yeah, I was going to go on a flounder. I really like flounder mm. and kurong mullet as well. Kurong mullet is probably one of my favourites. Um, we got Glenn and Tracy at it. Um, kurong Wild Seafoods. And they catch all of our, um, you know, flounder, kura mullet, um, 
Mulloway when they can get it. Um, mm. And also carp. They're the only ones in South Australia doing the carp at the moment and they're doing a damn good job of it. So, um, yeah. Well, you've built an amazing business uh, down there in Stirling. What do you love about what you do? Um, I guess the, fr- the freedom to cook. Um what I want on the like, on the day, um, you know, my menu changes quite a lot. So I've, you know, it, it can change virtually within six hours, depending on what fish I have and what stock I have, and what's coming in. You know, um, so it's it's probably cooking cooking what I you know what I want and just having that freedom to create straight away on the on the fly as well. Um, and we're a very small team, um, and we all work really really well together. Um, and yeah. That's probably what I enjoy the most is the team and the atmosphere, the environment that we bring. Well, Sam, it's amazing what you're doing down there and it's an honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today just to hear a bit of your story and look forward to hearing much more of it as Angler um, thrives. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Thank you very much, Huck. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>